I don't know if you were like me, but when I was younger going to, to church, I tended to compartmentalize church to Sunday. This is something that we do on Sunday, and the rest of the week we just kind of live the way we live. And what's interesting, when you come to the Lord, he kind of, he kind of shakes things up, doesn't he, a little bit? Instead of just saying, okay, church is church and church is on Sunday, when we come to Christ, he transforms our lives. And what I want to look at today is how does mission, how does living your life on mission transform the way you live your everyday life? And as we finish up this missions week, I want your heart to be transformed, not only by the power of the gospel message, but I want you to realize that with that comes this obligation to say, you know, Jesus, you want to do what you want to do with my life now. And I want to, I want to live my life on purpose. I want to live my life on mission. And we're going to look at a chapter in, in, in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to see how we're going to look at three different individuals and how much their lives were transformed by the power of the gospel message. Now, I grew up in, in church, and my parents were faithful, taking us to church every Sunday. I, I, went, to, I went to Sunday school, and I, and I can remember just asking my parents, you know, why do we, why do we go to church? And they, just, and they told me, because it's, it's, the, it's the right thing to do. You know, it's, it's good. We should go to church, right? It's, it's the right thing to do. But it didn't really transform my life. I wasn't hearing this transformational preaching that said, Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to forgive you of your sin, sins, which is the gospel message. And now he wants you to go out and live that message where you're at. We went to church. We did this religious thing, but it was, more, you know, it was really just compartmentalized to, to Sunday. It really didn't change my whole life. We were, this is just what we did as a family. And I want you to realize that through the transformation of the gospel message, Jesus wants to change your whole life and the way you live your life. What I love about the testimony of my parents um, and the testimony of my dad is there was someone that my dad worked with, and, I, and I've shared this story before, but there was someone that my dad worked with who became a follower of Jesus Christ, and he shared the message of Jesus with my dad at Eastman Kodak and he shared it with him on a break and prayed with my dad on a break to come to Christ. Go figure. It wasn't at church. And what was amazing about this person my dad explained to me is the, w- the way his life was transformed. My dad said, man, this guy used to be a partier and we worked together. And all of a sudden, I just seen how his whole life changed. And he's like, my dad's like, I go to church, but I don't have what you have. I want what you got. What, what do you have? And he shared his belief about Jesus and how Christ transformed his life. And what I love about this, what's interesting about this, it didn't happen in church. There was somebody who was bold enough to share their faith and what Jesus Christ did with them at work. And it transformed my dad's life, which ended up transforming our family's life. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think if that man was bold enough to share what he believed about his transformed life in Jesus Christ, if I would be here before you today. I want you to realize, let's not, let's not, just, let's not compartmentalize missions to the church and, oh, it's the church's job and we support these missionaries. I want you to realize that Jesus has given you that message in the sphere of influence that he has given you. And it's the most exciting thing in the world. There are people that you can reach that I can never reach. And Jesus wants to transform your heart 
to the point where he says, I want to use you every single day. There are people around you every single day who need to hear my life-giving message. See, Jesus was not a religion anymore to my parents. He was a living Savior who wanted to live in them and through them. And it changed their marriage. It changed our family dynamics. And they did everything they could to put me in that atmosphere so that transformation could happen in my heart. And they did a good job. And it was when I was 16 years old in 1982, in April, in a youth group with 100 other kids, when I heard the power of the transformation that Jesus could do in my heart through his message. And the pastor, the youth pastor was bold enough to challenge us that were there to make a decision for Jesus. And I remember that my heart was pounding because I heard that message and I knew Jesus was calling me. And he made this other chance where he says, if you want to come to Christ, I want you to stand up right now. I'm like, what? i got to stand up in front of all these other people? <laughs> I remember I stood up, and that was the day at 16 years old that I committed my heart to Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that there were those who were bold enough to share Jesus with me until I made that choice to follow Christ in April 1982. You see, I saw my parents reading their Bible. We began to pray together as a family. You see, I want you to realize that Jesus wants to use you. He doesn't want the message of Christ just to be something we hear on Sunday morning and then we go about and we just live our lives the way we feel like we want to live them. And there's three questions you know, I, I want us to, to answer this morning for us and to challenge you to allow God to expand your heart for missions. These three questions are this. The first question is, how do I take the gospel and move it from our personal lives to our public lives? See, one of the lies we can believe, and it's, it's pretty sad, it's a sad lie, is that we believe that our faith is something that's personal. I am so glad that that gentleman that spoke the word of God in his testimony to my dad didn't think that his faith was personal. I am so glad that he loved my dad enough to share the greatest hope that he had in his heart, and that was Jesus Christ. The second question I want us to answer is, how do we take the message of Christ out of the church and into the world? How do we do that? How do we influence our world around us? How do we take that message to where we live in our sphere of influence and we take that in the world? And the third question is, how do we allow the gospel to affect our families and, our, and actually our places of work? That gentleman that my dad worked with didn't see Kodak as just a place he went to work. He actually saw that place as his mission field. And I remember when I began to grow in my faith as a young teenager, uh, our youth pastor set this challenge out to us, and I thought he was crazy. And the challenge was this. He said, I want you to see your schools as your mission field. I'm like, what? As our mission field? He says, yes, I want you to see, I want you to live out your faith at your school. That's your mission field. I said, wait, 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 wait. We just had a missionary from Africa come in. That's the mission field some 10,000 miles away, right? And I remember getting challenged in my heart saying, no, the mission field is right in our backyard. And as, as he began to challenge us, I began to see my school as not just someplace I went to, but it was actually a place where Jesus wanted me to share my faith, as scary as that was. But I began to look at that as the place where Jesus wanted me to live out my faith. 
And so he would challenge us. I, I just hated my youth pastor because he always challenged us. He'd always needle us. And he would say, I want you to do this. I want you to start carrying your Bibles to school. I'm like, okay, now we're just getting overboard. Let's just, we're getting crazy now. And I can remember he says, no, I want to challenge you to carry your Bibles. I want you to read your Bibles in school. And I remember I had a red Bible. I still have it. Now, this Bible would have been better because it doesn't say Holy Bible on it. So it could have been a little bit more incognito Bible, right? And... Um, you know, we want to be incognito Christians. It doesn't work that way. So I had this, this red Bible with my little tabs in it so I could get right to the book, and it said Holy Bible right on it. And I can remember like it was yesterday because I remember I was carrying my Bible, and I would carry it inside all my books. And the Lord would convict me and say, Lord, just carry that on the outside. Let your faith be witnessed on the outside. And then when a missionary would come to our church, I would get it like, this is what you've called us to. It's not just, Jesus is just not something we do on Sunday. It's something we do every day. That he wants to grab your heart so deeply and so firmly as to say, listen, it's not just for you. I gave my life for your neighbor that drives you nuts. I gave my life for your coworker. I gave my life for your, for, for your family members and we need to pray for them. He wants to use us as that bridge between who Christ is and what he did. He wants to use us to share that message. And we need to do it in humility. How many of you know we're not perfect? We're going to mess up. I know I didn't have the perfect words. I didn't know all the Bible. I didn't have all my theology straight, but I knew what Jesus did in my heart. And that's our testimony. And that's what we sung about today. He wants to use what Christ did. That's your story. No one can take your story away from you of how Christ transformed you. And we, how many know we all have different stories? You know, for some of us, it's hard. We, we lived hard life. For, all the, for some of us, we grew up in church and maybe God spared you from a lot of things. Praise God for that. That's your story. That's, a power, that's just as much a powerful story as anyone else. So we all have this story. And so I want to challenge you today to see how, how can I make the gospel real in my life and not, not just something that, that is pent up in the church. Because we need to understand that the good news is something that we need to share. And what I want to do is I'm going to look at three encounters in Acts chapter 16 that Paul had with three completely different people. And I'm going to look at those and I'm going to read those in succession and then we're going to dive into those different people that Paul and Silas reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you've got your Bibles or your devices, turn to six, chapter 16 of, of uh, Acts chapter 16, because I want you to follow along. I will have them up on the screens. I like when you guys follow along in your Bibles and your devices. So if you're watching at home, do that too. And I'm going to start retraining you guys to start bringing your Bibles again, again to church, all right? We'll have a Sunday. Bring your Bible back to church Sunday, right? Have it on your phone. I don't care, but I like when you look at it. So I miss the, I miss the rattling of, let's just listen. Uh, that's, I miss that. I miss that. All right. So, so let, let's, look at, let's look at Acts chapter 16. And let's see what, what the Lord is saying to us here. And we're going to look at three different stories and how God, how God did his great work in these lives. Uh, Acts 16 verses 13 through 15. Let's look at this first incident. And we're going to be looking at Paul is in the region of Macedonia. And there he's traveling to a city named Philippi. 
And there he speaks the message of Christ. And he's going to have three different encounters here in this city. So starting in verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath he went outside the city to the gates to the river where we expected, uh, expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to women who had gathered there. And one of them listening was a, was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to stay at her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay, stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, let's look at the second encounter, which is completely different. This first encounter was nice, nice lady, wealthy. She was a fashion designer. Just listened to the message and boom, came to the Lord. I'm like, wow, easy peasy. Next one, not so much. We're dealing with demons. It's crazy. So let's look at the next one. Same thing, right after this. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we met by a female slave who had the spirit which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money on, on, from her owners, from fortune-telling, and she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servant of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Completely different story. Completely different story. But yet God reached her too. Now, I'm going to fill in the gap for the next story in Acts chapter 16. I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the gap in just a moment because we're going to jump right in here and all of a sudden Paul and Silas are in jail and you're like, what, what happened? But I'll fill in the gaps there for you. Verse 25 in Acts 16, it says, About midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening, listening to them and suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and all, all at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose and the jailer woke up and he saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. I love that. He washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he, was, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, what I love about these stories is how different they are, but how the gospel unites all of them. The first encounter you have with, with Lydia, she's a, she's a dealer in, in purple cloths. She was, she was wealthy, she was successful, and it was said that she was a worshiper of God. This is really interesting. She, she knew something. She, she knew there was a higher power, but not all the dots were connected for her. She may even have been, she may have been religious, but she was missing something in her life, this transformed heart. It's interesting what is told about uh, Lydia in this passage. Paul begins to speak and God opens her heart to the message of Christ. You see, Lydia had a form of godliness, yet lacked the power. There was not this transformation in her heart. She was religious. She knew there was a God. She even worshipped him. But there wasn't that transformation in her heart. And after hearing the, the words of Paul and the gospel message, she became a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Now, the second encounter couldn't be more opposite. The second encounter is much more dramatic. Paul is now, uh, he's, he's being followed by a slave girl who was a fortune teller, and she made a lot of money for her owner. And it was said that she had this spirit of uh, divination or predicting the future. So she's harassing them every day, and, and it's not what she's saying isn't true, but it was done in a harassing way, and, and finally, Paul casts out this evil spirit and frees her from that and frees her from her slavery and from what she was doing for her owner. And in my study of this passage, I found something that I, 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 I never knew. I love this. When you study the word of God, you always find things you don't, you don't know. But in the Greek, it literally says that she had a spirit of a python. It sounds like a Marvel movie, doesn't it? She had the spirit of a python. That, that is literally the Greek rendering there. If you look and you look up the Greek, it literally says Python. That's the translation. Now, interesting enough, you will never find any English translation with that translation because it would be so confusing for us today to try to translate that. But what is the meaning behind this spirit of a python, the spirit of divination, which literally means spirit of a python? Well, the background here is the oracle of Delphi was a prophet in Greek legend who gave advice or told the future. Now, according to this legend, there was this temple, and, and, and a python was there guarding the temple. So when someone would fall into a trance or act really weird or could tell the future, they would say that they have the spirit of a python. And so that's what she had. She had the spirit of divination. She had this evil spirit, this unclean spirit. Now, you couldn't have two more different people. Lydia, successful. The slave girl was broken, possessed by an evil spirit. She was poor, and she was abused. The encounter that Jesus had with, with this slave girl, the, the power that the, the, of Jesus with this slave girl was pretty funny because Paul just casts out this demon, and then she's set free. But here's what I want you to see. Her freedom met Paul's imprisonment because the owner wasn't real happy. Because now his livelihood was taken away because now what she was in bondage to, she's been set free from in the name of Jesus. And and, and that fits perfectly with Jesus' death for us. Jesus' death for us, his arrest for us, his beating for us was for our freedom. And so what happens is what we see in this third encounter, Paul and Silas are in prison because of this. The owner was not happy. And so Paul and Silas are beaten within an inch of their life and they're thrown in prison now. And this is where they have the third encounter. So for, for, for Paul and Silas, it's not getting any better. It started off really nice with Lydia. Oh, we like your clothes. This is really nice. Could you make me something? This is really nice. And then it goes into the slave girl where it gets a little more weird. And now they're thrown in prison, almost beaten an inch of their life. And they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if they're going to be executed, if they're going to rot in jail for the rest of their life. And you would be thinking to yourself, they might be thinking, okay, I'm, time out. You know, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't think it would be like this. But what are they doing while they're in jail? They're complaining. They're calling for Shapiro and Shapiro. They're looking for the best lawyers, right? That's what they're doing. What are they doing? They're worshiping. They're worshiping the Lord. And the other people that are around them are hearing this. And you have this jailer who's in charge of them is listening to them, probably thinking, wait a minute, this is, I've never seen anything like this. You know, the prisoners I get, they're, they're, they're just angry and mad. It, and you've got these two guys who aren't angry and mad. 
who are singing to this God. And this is interesting to him. And so what you have is you have this third encounter and, and you would think that Paul and Silas would just be done. But they come in contact with this jailer. And most likely this jailer was a retired soldier who had been given this government job uh, for his twilight years. He's just ready to retire. He's ready to get his social security. But he's got this gig and this jail and he's probably seen the worst of war. And so he's seen all these things. He's probably cynical you know, I just can't wait till I get done with this. And so he's given this job. But the problem is this job means life or death because if any prisoners escape, it means his life. That's why he drew his sword. And so what happens is you have this earthquake, you have this miracle. Their chains are broken. They could have easily taken off. Paul and Silas could have easily said to this jailer, hey, you deserve this. We're gone. See you. See what our God does? See, nah, 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 nah. We're gone. But he doesn't do that. This cynical jailer see something different in Paul and Silas. And what he sees in Paul and Silas is this grace and mercy that they could have easily taken off. They could have easily said, this jailer, you deserve what you're getting. Our God is a God of judgment and we're, and we're leaving. But instead, they show grace and mercy. The jailer sees the difference in their lives and he wants to know what he must do to be saved. And what the jailer sees is good overcoming evil. He sees something different in their lives. So the question I want to ask you is, is how did the gospel change these three individuals, these three people? How did the gospel change them? Because I want you to see that this isn't a story that happened 2,000 years ago in the first century. I want you to realize that these three people that Paul had this encounter with, Paul and Silas, are people that we run into every single day. We run into religious people who think their religion can save them and that they're good without Jesus and they don't need him as their savior, but they'll, they'll formulate their own religion and they'll, they'll form their own ideas and they think this is enough. As long as I'm good, as long as I do good things, that's enough. You're going to run into those religious people. You're going to run into those people who have been abused like the slave girl, who have been addicted to things, who have strongholds in their lives because of wrong choices that they've made. You're going to have people that are cynical, you're going to have people that, that just lived a rough life. And, and they haven't been shown a lot of grace, maybe not even a lot of grace from people that so, are so-called Christians of the church, and they need to see God's grace and mercy in their life. We run into these people every day. Lydia needed something more than religion. She needed, she needed a heart transformation by Christ. She needs something more than religion. That was our family. The slave girl needed the power of Christ to free her from her bondage. And Jesus did that for her. The jailer needed to see how good overcomes evil. And he saw that through the grace and mercy of Paul and Silas. See, what can we learn about missions through these encounters, through these three individuals? Very simply, the gospel is for everyone. These three individuals couldn't be more completely different. Their paths probably would have never crossed But all of a sudden, the gospel united all three of them, and now they're worshiping God together. That's what I love about the church, because many of us in our pre-Christian days probably would never come together in our our worlds. But here we are all together, all a bunch of crazy people coming together, worshiping God together because of what Jesus Christ did in our hearts. See, what unites the church, listen to me, what unites us 
is not our love for the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills, right? That's not, right? That's not what you, what, what, what unites us is not our political slant. What unites us is not our likes and dislikes, because we all have different things. We all have different opinions about a lot of different things. The thing that unites us is Jesus Christ and the message that he came to save that he came in this world to seek and save that which was lost. What unites us is the precious blood of Christ that was sacrificed for you and I. When we come to church, we worship Jesus and Jesus alone. He's our savior. He's our master. He's our king. The reason why we do the things we do at the church is for Jesus, not because of this or that or my likes or dislikes. We do it because of Christ. That's what unites us. That's what causes us to become one. That's what, that's what will keep us going forward in unity. Church, listen, we can get distracted on a million different things that can just splinter us as a church. If we don't stay focused on the gospel message and what he's done in our hearts, we will go very quickly. Very quickly. We need to stay on this message. And so what united all three of these different people was the gospel message. That's what united all of them. That's what I love about the church. We're all different, but Jesus unites us. That's what I love about going on missions trips. When you see the different culture, you see the different languages, but you see the same, you see the, the same Jesus. When we were in Costa Rica, I think it was in, in, in 2007, we, we went in November um, to Central America, big mistake because it's the rainy season. So we went during the rainy season. We're building a church, and we were two feet deep in mud. We had wheelbarrows. We're helping build a new church for this this one local congregation, and um, we had wheelbarrows of of concrete that we had to go through the mud. I mean, it was just miserable. It just rained the whole week, and I remember worshiping with that local church pretty much every night. We'd have a worship service, and I can remember the roof. It was just a tin roof, and it was raining every day. And, and they would give our ladies umbrellas to hold up in the church service so the rain wouldn't get them wet. But I remember there's this one guy. His name was Horatio. And he was a young guy, and he was just thin. He was probably 150 pounds, but he was all muscle. And he worked the hardest every day on the job site. That was his church. That was his home. And he had three young girls at the time. And I remember working side by side with him. And it, we were wet. It was miserable. By the end of the day, you know, you're, you're trugging through the mud and you've got the concrete. I just was not a happy camper. I just, I, yeah, I was grumbling. I was just like, oh man, when's the next day? And he'd just be like, you know, this is great. Hallelujah. You know, I'm like, what? what? And he would just share his love for Jesus. He always say, isn't God good? You guys were soaked and I'm so, isn't God good? He looked great. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm like, oh my gosh, would you be quiet? I don't know, man. This is driving me crazy. Yeah. He had such a heart for Christ. And I remember at night going into the worship services and seeing him over kind of the side of the church, worshiping with his family and just having his hands lifted up and just worshiping God for whatever circumstance he might be in. And I thought, there's somebody who just loves Jesus, who has a heart for the Lord, who just wants God to work in his life. See, the gospel message, when it truly transforms our hearts in our lives. It allows us to see beyond ourselves to the world around us. And this is the world that Jesus sees. When Jesus peers into our world, he sees the religious who are trying to please God through their religion and trying to be good enough. He sees the people that are abused, that are confused, that have made a lot of wrong choices in their lives, and addictions and bondages are in their lives, and those strongholds are in their lives. 
He sees those that are cynical. Those have seen so many things in their life that, that, that has just hurt them and bruised them and they need to see grace and they need to see love. Those people are in your lives every single day. I always remember the story. This, I'll never forget this boy named Michael who was in my high school. And because of my youth pastor always challenging us to do things, it, it, it stirred in my heart to start a, a prayer group in our, in our high school. And we did, my twin sister and I started a prayer group. And I remember there's this one boy named Michael who came to our prayer group. And he said, I heard about your prayer group. Can I come? And I said, no, unless you're a Christian, you can't come. No, I said, sure, Michael, come on in. I knew who he was. We swam together. And I said, Michael, come on in. And um, he said, I didn't know where to turn. So my parents are getting a divorce and I didn't know what to do. Because I heard about your prayer group. Could you guys pray for me? I said, sure, Michael. And I remember laying hands on Michael and praying for him. He came to Christ in a classroom because he knew people cared about him. Listen, I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't care if you're a teenager, senior citizen, older saint, you're working at your job. There are people all around you who are hurting What's interesting about Paul and Silas is every place they went, they were always praying. We went to this place to pray. We ran into Lydia. We went to this place to pray. ran into the slave girl. We were worshiping God and praying in the jail, and all of a sudden, we got to lead the jailer to the Lord. See, here's what prayer does. Prayer makes your heart sensitive to God's calling in your life. Prayer makes your heart sensitive to those that are around you. For me, I can get so selfish and self-centered. And for me, it's so easy to go from point A to point B and forget about all the people that are around you on your journeys. So when you get that flat tire, it's so easy to say, oh my gosh, you just interrupt my day. So God says, yeah, I interrupted your day. Because someone's going to come and fix your tire that needs to talk to you. The person that you're working with, they're going through something really deep. They need someone to pray for them. They're always all around us. But I think what prayer does, what prayer definitely does, it keeps our hearts sensitive to the needs that are around us. You see, what the gospel message does, it humbles us to realize we don't deserve God's grace and mercy. And when you can understand that, then it makes you more sympathetic to the world around you and to the needs and the hurts that are around you. That's what missions is. Yes, we want to support missionaries that go around the world. That's our calling. But listen, I want you to grab that heart of missions for your life and your sphere of influence. Allow God to challenge you in your life for the people that are around you. Never doubt that the gospel can touch anyone. The gospel can touch anyone. I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, the gospel holds out to us the prospect of a self-worth not achieved but received. While we maintain our identification with our race, nationality, gender, family, community, and other connections, the most fundamental thing about us is that we are sinners saved by grace. In ourselves, we are lost, we're flawed and undeserving, but in Christ, we are completely accepted and delighted in by the one in the universe we adore the most. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about someone in your life that you can pray for. 
Maybe that person in your sphere of influence, maybe it's someone who has this form of religion. Maybe it's somebody that says, yeah, I go to church, yeah, 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 but it just, you can tell there's not that transformation in their heart. Maybe it's someone that you know is struggling, struggling with addiction, struggling in their life, struggling with strongholds in their lives that you know uh, are hurting, that you can pray for them and be that person that reaches out to them. Maybe you're going to be that person that's going to show grace and mercy to somebody who needs to need to hear it. Maybe it's someone who got hurt in church or whatever the case may be. Maybe you're the one that's going to show them grace and mercy and understanding and allow them to know, listen, I'm not perfect. I make a ton of mistakes. But let me tell you about the grace and mercy of, of Jesus Christ. He wants to work in your life. He wants to give you a brand new life. And I want you to think about that person in your life that you can be praying for. I believe prayer will tenderize your heart and make you sensitive. So each and every day when you go about your world, you're going to see you're going to see God moving and you're going to see God giving you those opportunities and opening those doors for you to share his love with those who are around you. Listen, you don't have to have all your theology perfect and be a scholar to do this. Every single one of us have a story for how Christ has changed us. That's what people need to hear. People need to hear a sympathetic ear of someone who cares that's praying for them so that door is open so you have access into their life so that you can have deeper discussions about Jesus and what he has done for them. That's missions. When you leave today, you drive out in your cars, I want you to look at that sign to the right. You are now entering your mission field. Never forget that. It's great to come together and to worship and to center the teaching of God's word, but we need to live our lives on mission. And I guarantee God will give you open doors every single day if you allow him to do that, to pray for somebody, to reach out to somebody, to encourage somebody. That's missions. And that's my heart for you as your pastor, is that God will continue to expand your heart for your family, for your neighbors, for those around you, for those around the world, that he would continue to expand your heart with his love and his concern for the world that he died for. Amen. Let me pray for you. And as we pray, let's just close our eyes for for just a moment. I want you to think just for a moment of that person that you're praying for. And I just want you to whisper that that name to the Lord right now. Just lay that, let, let the Lord lay that person on your heart and just Allow the Lord to speak to you and give that person to him and to create those open doors so that you can share his love. We thank you for that person, God. We thank you that you've brought them into our lives so that we could be used by you to share your love. So Father God, I just pray that you would continue to soften our hearts. Lord, that that we would be... um, that we, would, that we would be serious about our life on mission and what you've accomplished for us, that we, would, that we would never forget what you did for us, Jesus, that you gave everything to reach us, to come down where we are in our mess to reach us and to give your life for our sins. Lord, it's all about relationship. You, you came to us to have a relationship with us. So I pray, Lord, that we would never forget that. So humble us, Lord. Keep us sensitive to those around us. And when we get complaining and grumpy, God, just recalibrate our hearts again. 
to the gospel message that we didn't deserve your forgiveness either. Keep us humbled by that message always. We thank you, Lord, for the message that you've given each and every one of us to share with this world. We love you. We thank you. And we want to be careful to ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Listen, we're going to, I love this hymn, How Deep the Father's Love is for Us. And as we sing this today, just let, listen, unless God grips your heart, you're not going to have a heart for other people. Unless God humbles your heart, we're not going to be sensitive and compassionate for other people. So as we sing this today, let's start with us and allow God to grip our heart and remind us again how much God loves us and what he went through for us. That's what this hymn speaks of. And as we sing it to him, allow it to just speak to your heart of of what the depths and the lengths that God went through to reach each and every one of us. And when God grips your heart, he'll grip your heart for other people that are around you. Amen. So let's stand and let's sing this to the Lord. God bless you.